The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Coming up on the show tonight, we have our kink panel. We have Dane Stewart, Gary Major, and Philip Faith in studio, all part of the fetish and kink community in one way or another. Uh, we'll address things like uh, body modification, body piercings, uh, fetish photography, dungeons, play piercing. Uh, we'll even tell you a little bit of history of kink. We'll see what we cover tonight. And of course, your questions always welcomed. Uh, about the topic at 514-800. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. At the beginning of every show, I like to answer some of your questions and help you out a little bit. So if you do have questions, you can send them in right here, right now, 514-800. You can send them to me by email, lori at drlori.com, and just tune in at the beginning of every show to uh, to hear the answer. Uh, first question, is there a type of skin lotion or conditioner that would slash could be used for shaft skin? So I'm a, I'm not sure if you're talking about using a lotion or something for masturbation or are you wanting to just keep the skin soft? If it's a moisturizer just to, to keep it soft, basically I would say you can use anything that is gentle. I would recommend that you go with a lotion that has as few chemicals as and fragrances as possible since the skin of the shaft uh, is thinner maybe than skin on your arm, let's say, uh, and maybe more prone to irritation. You also wouldn't want to put anything on your penis and then not, and then uh, have intercourse, for example, uh, where whatever is on there could upset the pH balance of a vagina. So uh, that would be best to just uh, keep it uh, clean with, with mild soap and water. So, uh, but if, if you're just using a lotion for yourself, if it's not irritable and, uh, any, any lotion really, uh, would be okay. My wife and I have been married for 32 years. She is 53 and I'm 54. We still have a wonderful sex life, having sex two to three times per week. She is multi-orgasmic, usually having two to four, sometimes as many as six orgasms per lovemaking session. Right now, she is experiencing the early stages of menopause. My question is, once she is postmenopausal, how will this affect our sex life? sex drive, ability to orgasm, ability to get wet? Is there anything we should or can do to help? So these are great questions and I commend you for looking out for your wife and and being prepared. I think it's important when we have the knowledge that uh, changes can happen, that we can actually do something about it rather than uh, give up. But it it's difficult to say exactly what changes will happen to your wife uh, specifically. I can talk generally to what happens to women postmenopausally. Um, 
like many women will um, experience vaginal dryness, for example, uh, which but that can be easily remedied with vaginal hormones. And there's plenty on the market or several at least that can be obtained with a prescription that you uh, insert on a regular basis to uh, to keep the moisture and the estrogen going in the vagina. So that should help. In terms of lubrication, by the way, uh, you women can lubricate less. Some women report lubricating more. So it's not really sure what will what will happen, but lubrication may not be a sign of arousal anymore. Whereas before it was, now your wife may be aroused with not as much uh, lubrication. As for desire, some women seem to have a lower libido after menopause, and some say they have even more. So if if she has remained sexual all these years, which is what you're describing, this will likely not be a major factor. So maybe the desire will go down a little bit, uh, and maybe the activity will go down a little bit, but maybe not that significantly, especially if you've kept active all this time. And we know that the more active, the more sexually active we are, uh, the less likely to have a lot of these uh, effects. So it's like use it or lose it. The more you use it, you're regenerating as you're using it. So that's also really, um, really important. When it comes to arousal or orgasm, that can change with time. It may change not like at 55, it may change at 65. Uh, it's different for every woman, but it could take a bit more stimulation than before to get her to the same, uh, to the same place. So as we age, sometimes the things that felt good to us or even the positions that felt good or the places that we were touched felt good may not feel as good. And then we may develop like new erogenous zones, new areas that want to be touched. So having that communication, having that sexual communication and being able to say, uh, touch me here, or let's try this or, or what have you is really, really helpful. Um, because these can change. So remember that not like all, there are a lot of changes that are possible. They're not all, uh, inevitable. Not everybody experiences them. And some people can experience them at different times in, in their, uh, in their lifespan. If you want to know more, and this is like a little plug for my book, but I did write a book called The Sex Bible for People Over 50, which goes through all the potential, uh, effects of uh, getting older and especially about, uh, menopause, et cetera. So those are some of the things that uh, if you look at that, you'll be able to see the changes that happen in men, which they'll happen to you too, by the way. So it isn't just to her, but you too, you may end up having a little bit lower libido. You may have a more difficult time getting your erection. You may need a little more stimulation. Um, you may need more recovery time. Uh, so all of these things, like there are changes for men and for women, uh, as we age. Uh, Kreskin on CJD, this text writes, predicted a large decline in dating for 2019. Your comments? Uh, I guess these are what predictions? Um, uh, my comments. What do I know about this? Uh, there are more and more dating sites that are popping up. So I don't know if there will be a decline in dating. I would say there may be a decline in face-to-face dating. So more people using online and keeping it online, which is a bit of a problem because you're not 
socializing in the same way. So a lot of people socialize, so to speak, uh, through their apps and, and uh, texts and all of that, but aren't doing a lot of meeting face-to-face. And that, I believe, has been somewhat on the decline, and I'm hoping that that will um you know, will change at some point. I don't know how, but um, all of these different these different ways that we are uh, quote unquote meeting people are are actually making us be more, a little more distant. And as for dating, like um, going on one date is one thing, but dating, like oh, I'm dating somebody, meaning I'm regularly dating somebody, we may see less of that and more of the uh, one date. Uh, rather than, you know, having uh, more than one date and having a relationship, a dating relationship. So, but we'll see where it goes. I guess we'll be talking about it on the show. Uh, coming up on the program, we have our kink panel. Uh, we have Dane Stewart, Gary Major, and Philip Faith in studio with us talking about all things kinky. So if you have any questions, uh, you send them right in. From the pleasure to the pain and everything in between. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. This is our kink panel tonight, Alternative Sexuality, once a month. We talk about all things kinky. The extreme, maybe uh, extreme sex, like extreme sports. I don't know. You tell us. If you have questions, 514-800. Our kink panelists will be very happy to talk with you. But first, let me, let themselves introduce, uh, they'll introduce themselves and tell you how they are involved somehow in the kink community. We'll start with Dane Stewart, who's here. Yes, uh, I'm Dane. I am an organizer, educator, and artist living and working in Montreal. I'm heavily involved with uh, the queer community here and with the human pup play community. Yeah, you know you'll get questions about that, right? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> woof, woof. Uh, and now we have Gary Major. Tell us about you. Hi. So uh, I've uh, been in Montreal for only four years. I mostly lived in Toronto most of my life where mm-hmm. I was heavily involved in uh, the body modification scene. I was a body piercer for about 16 years of my life and was heavily involved in the scene uh, around there, uh, especially involved in uh, heavier modifications and assisting and and practicing them myself. Well, you'll, you, of course, you know, hopefully in the show, you'll tell us a little bit about uh, what body modification is for some of our listeners who may oh, not know, but it's too bad it's radio. I wish people could actually see you and <laughs> like tattooed literally from head to toe. Literally. Literally yeah. from the bald head, completely tattooed. <laughs> uh, we have Philip Faith in studio with us. Philip, yes, tell us about you. Well, I'm a photographer that's been based in Montreal and I've done a lot of work that's been published in various fetish magazines worldwide and I'm also part of uh, Fetish Weekend for the past uh, 15 years as a musical director and DJ. So everybody's involved in some degree in the uh, fetish community Mm -hmm. doing stuff. So we've uh, listen I want to open this up to our listeners if you have questions about uh, what fetish photography is what body modification is what human pups do uh, I know you? I, I think our listeners wait for me to ask the questions, but that's okay. I will ask all the questions, and uh, don't be shy about answering. So uh, let's look first at um, at body modification. How would you define what that is, Gary? Well, I mean, body modification can be anything from you know uh, uh, some, something as simple as like changing your hair color, 
all the way to completely changing your body. Um, there's, yeah, one isn't so kinky. Changing your well, hair color, which I just did today, is not the kinkiest can, of things. It can for me be to very do. kinky. Uh, <laughs> you know, a natural brunette going to a blonde become, can become Marilyn Monroe, and that was pretty kinky back in the fifties. Yeah, I guess so. so. You're right. You're right. <laughs> uh, it, uh, legitimately, though, like in the mostly in the fetish world, it's it's basically uh, adding piercings, adding tattoos, adding implants, adding you know just various body modifications that change your uh, view of your body or the way you see your body or the way other people see it. Um, for me, it meant, you know, tattooing myself head to toe and getting various implants and, you know, well, when you say implants, talk about that for a minute. Well, for myself, I have uh, chest implants. I have a uh, Teflon dome chest implants. What? It's, what uh, is that? Can I see? <laughs> yeah, <they're> just, <laughs> I wish our listeners could just, see, but Oh, I see bumps yeah, on your chest. Just basically okay. bumps. Yeah, yeah. They're and just what an would that be for? Is that not dangerous? No. Well, I mean, it, it was all done underground, of course. Most of the surgeries and most of the procedures that we get as body modifier, body modifiers are usually done by underground artists, unfortunately. Artists, but, not surgeons. N- well, it depends on who you call. Okay. <laughs> but okay. I mean, most you're not calling them doctors. They're what not I'm doctors. Saying. Okay. They're not doctors. Okay. Uh, and most of these, of course, were done in the '90s, early 2000s. A lot of the times, they've either fallen out of fashion or the practitioners have stopped doing the work and. It, much like a lot of, uh, if you're going to a professional, you want the best in the business. And if the best in the business is no longer doing the work, there's no point in getting it done. Mm-hmm. So that's moved on to other things. Um, a lot of my work was done almost 20 years ago. My tattooing work done, you know, within the last 15 years okay. or more. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, most of it is aesthetics. A lot of it is is just visuals. You have an idea in your mind of what you want to look like, much like everybody in the world. You know, you don't like your nose, you go get it fixed. You don't like your breasts, you go get them fixed. Whatever. Uh, and that's the same thing for me. I envisioned myself as being heavily modified and, and colored from head to toe. So Now, I've, I have seen online, uh, and I have a book on on body modifiers like mm-hmm. I, that th- around the world, and some people made to look like a lizard. Like, mm-hmm. they, they really uh, transform mm-hmm. to look Most almost not human, huh? <laughs> Most of those are my friends. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> like, I... I guess I don't I don't get it personally, but I you know I'm not judging anybody no. who does that. But um, is there a relationship to sexuality in any way in those? Well, not really. I mean, I think I mean you know tattooing and heavily heavily heavy modifiers in the you know 70s, 80s, 60s, even uh, most of them were part of the gay community. Um, okay, it was it was you know it was a sign of masculinity. It was a sign of. Uh, transgression. It was a sign of uh, expressing yourself in a way that you couldn't in the normal world. Um, and then it, you know, in the nineties, it blew up with, you know, music and things like that. Right. I, I put it into the more, the front line for the rest of the society. And then now it's kind of commonplace. I, I'm wondering, Philip, if you've done any photography of, of body yeah, I've modifiers. Done, uh, I've done and... stuff like that. There's an artist called Beton from Paris. I don't know if you, you're familiar. Mm-hmm. He did actually a whole chest that he had implants under, like mm-hmm. like, like a, a spinal uh, mm-hmm. reptilian. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and okay. I've worked with him and his girlfriend once. But I've I've seen and met several people that were into that. Uh, and I'm sure the... people want to be photographed, yes, right? Absolutely. It's like this is something mm-hmm. that you're sh- literally showing off. Like yeah. it's, it, uh... it is, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I've been uh, a part of scenes, uh, underground scenes, where most of these people have like 
if you looked at them in everyday life, wouldn't know what they had done, but everything under their clothing was completely modified in some way or another. Uh, and those people have been around since they were like, they're our, our mentors. They're the people that mm -hmm. were there in the 60s and 70s that were creating these uh, these designs and creating these uh, modifications so that we could perfect them later on in our lives. So this is, uh, I would call that extreme piercing. But Correct. in in our day and age, tattooing, piercing, there's a tattoo shop on every corner, mm -hmm. just like there, there's as many tattoo shops as there are Starbucks, mm -hmm. it seems. So this this is new, is it not? Like this is something that has Actually, changed. Actually, it's not very new because in the ancient days, if you go back to uh, the time of the Mesopotamians or the ancient Egyptians, it was a common thing to perform body modifications in order to create a bond with a different god or goddess. Oh. So they used to, you know, modify their body through this art, obviously, but in with a religious... Right, it had religious exactly. connotations, whereas and, today... And the proof of, of what I'm saying is that circumcision, maybe if you don't look at it, but it is a, modi a body modification. Right. And it comes that's from the true. same period. Wow. So uh -huh. that's, yeah. So Very interesting. So but, but the link between, uh, or the assumptions we make of people who are uh, either tattooed, like people will look at you, your average person looking at you and say, we'll make assumptions. What Absolutely. are the assumptions that they'll make? Uh, mostly, like, well, I mean, it's not so anymore, but I, I find I found when I was coming up and I was starting to get heavily tattooed, and especially when I got my head tattooed, it was uh, it was very much uh, crossing the street when I was walking. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, securities following me around the stores. A lot of people just assuming that I'm either you know broke, homeless, or a drug at, drug addict. Right. Which I'm and none I, of the I'm above. None of the so. above. Yeah, which is so interesting. Right. But nowadays, I find it's more. Uh, I still get the looks, but I don't get them as often, or I don't get them as as uh, disgusted. It's more of an interest, right. uh, because tattooing has become so commonplace that it's not. I'm not seen of as something. You're not. That's, you're not so off the edge now. No, like it's no. not as marginalized Absolutely, as it once yes. was, because yes. pretty much everybody in the younger generations are. Mm -hmm. Tattooed. Well, every we generation. Make... I mean, you know, you go into a tattoo shop now, and it's not just the kids getting tattoos. Oh, it's no, no. People of every generation that are getting something to celebrate their lives. I got my first one at 52. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for sure. And body piercings, that's another thing we make assumptions about either kink or uh, something sexual. Mm -hmm. Like I've talked to people said, oh, yeah, that person has a tongue piercing. That means they really like oral sex or giving oral sex. And I said, what? Is it related? Like, I said, let me check with my panel. Now, you're a Dane, you're pierced. I don't know where. I, I only see what I see. <laughs> I'm not asking for any personal, you know, too much information. But, um, and as a piercer, mm -hmm. uh, Gary, What's the relationship between piercings and kink or sexuality? Well, I think it has a lot to do with it, its sensation. I mean, anytime you put jewelry in your body, you're adding sensation to that area. And so when you put piercings in certain parts of your body, you're adding sensations to an already sensitive area. So, of course, it's going to increase your sexual uh, you're, you're just your, your own sexuality, your mm -hmm. feeling of sexuality, or just your, your sensations during sexual pleasure. Right. I got this uh, texter says, uh, for the body piercing, I have a penis surface piercing, and most of my female partners have liked the stimulation with the barbell. Uh, but I'm in my late 30s. Is there a time when my skin will actually stretch or damage my shaft? If you, uh, I mean, if you've had it for long enough and it hasn't done the damage yet, it won't do it any further. Because no? it pretty much, once it establishes itself, that's pretty much it. Unless you do some serious play that can put extra pressure on the piercing, that's the only chance of it. So it be. like it it would be like scarred into place, pretty much, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, it's it's set itself up. Wow. 
So uh, so interesting, and we do make these kinds of assumptions, especially about the the tongue the tongue piercing. Yeah. What's the relationship with tongue piercings and anything? Do you know, Phil? Well, I guess historically, have, oh. <laughs> is there a history to tongue I'm piercing? Sure there is, there is <laughs> in in your dictionary yeah, right brain, in your <laughs> encyclopedic brain, what's the tongue piercing? Well, I mean, tongue piercing, like anything inside the mouth, you, it, I mean, it can add it can add stimulation. Like you know, they always say, if you want to really enhance your you know uh, oral sex, put an ice cube in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Well, put a barbell in your tongue; it's going to do kind of the same thing because it's cold. It's cold. It also is. It's just the extra stimulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's putting more stimulation on an area. Um, and as well, I find that when people have their tongue pierced, they use the piercing as well as their tongue. So it's like even more um, them using their own body to enhance their. their but sex. you think they do? Most people who get tongue piercings do it for the sexual purpose? Because I've the, known some who have just in, done it just because insinuated they insinuated sexual cool. purpose. In, okay, yeah, I, agree. I agree. So there is because it doesn't make you a better oral sex expert. It just. <laughs> It makes you appear to be one. <laughs> right. Uh, our King Show tonight, if you have questions, we have uh, a body modifier piercer. We have a fetish photographer. We have a, uh, a pup uh, in studio. So a really varied panel tonight. So excited. We'll continue our discussion and uh, we'll find out about uh, what play piercing is. Some Oh, and something I really want to I'm going to ask Phil about is where the F word comes from. He uh, told me a story before. I've got to share this. So that's uh, all coming up after we check in with our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. It's sex out loud, and you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. Tonight it is our King panel. We have Philip Faith, who is a fetish photographer and musical director of the Fetish Montreal Weekend. Uh, he can be found at Philip Faith on uh, social Instagram. media, Instagram. Uh, we have Gary Major, who is a, a, a body fan of body modification practitioner, Kingster. Uh, he can be found at Scott Gary Major. And Dane Stewart, who is an advocate for the human pup community. He manages Montreal's pup community, Woof. Uh, MTL on Facebook, and he's the founder of Talking Dog Productions. So you can find him at talkingdogproductions.ca. He did a wonderful play called The History of Human Sexuality, which was uh, at Place des Arts last year, which was fantastic. All right, I promised our listeners uh, I discovered something new today, and I want to share it with you. Uh, Philip Faith happens to be a wealth of information <laughs> into in the history of kink. Uh, you've done a lot of studying in 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 in, in theology and like I, you brought all of those together interestingly enough uh so the f word without saying the f word no. comes from where it used to be uh, forbidden to have uh, sexual activity before marriage right and they, the kings back then in those especially in england they had like you know guards that were actually scoping out people that were Mm-hmm. You know, fornicating trans- yeah, exactly <laughs> so once you would get married you'd get like a certificate on a on a kind of a roll okay and it would be it would say fornication under consent of king and that's where it comes and, from and fornication became, under consent of king and, it <laughs> and then it began then you would put that on yeah. on the door on the door and the guards would pass by and say okay we're going to leave them alone so they're okay they're okay under under the king's yeah. Consent. Wow, did anybody know this? No, I, <laughs> I didn't know this before. <laughs> nope. So wild. 
Um, okay, let's see. Uh, I've heard in the Jewish religion, tattoos are forbidden. Can we talk about that and dispel that? Because I have talked to uh, people in the religious community who, where we say, oh, Jewish people, you can't be buried in a Jewish cemetery if you have a tattoo. And I was told that's not true. So, and then I was in Israel uh, a while back and everybody has a tattoo. Everybody. Everybody's tattooed. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand, like, where is it at? Um, historically, I don't know, Philip, if you know anything. Well, you know, the basic behind it is that, you know, God creates man to his own image. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to change the image of God. So if you're born away and you start doing modification, then from this point of view, you're transgressing. Mm-hmm. So that's one. And the second thing is that back in the pagan days, all the polytheistic religions, they used to do multiple modification in honor of different gods. Right. So when, uh, mod- like when the Jews decided to honor only one god... And they cannot, in other words, they cannot, they cannot like worship two gods in the same temple. Right. So that's why it's forbidden. And then they were allowed one w- one modification, of- which is actually circumcision. And once you have that, you have no room for any other ones because you only worship one god. So, and now in terms of laws or because I mean, times are, have changed well, from I think you they, know, those they need years. to adapt because <laughs> there's so many people with tattoos right now. It's like you're not going to stop from burying them, so they have right. to, you know stretch and adjust you know I, I don't i think it's not only tattoos but it's also other modifications right. that a lot of people get in their lives be it you know even just getting earrings is considered a modification uh that's you know, right that's, that's any, my argument what about all those other things that's like exactly it. also breast implants th- that's what example. i mean like any any cosmetic surgery is mm-hmm. also correcting or or enhancing or changing your body so how are you setting the standard just because it's visually something that you can see doesn't mean that the person didn't get a facelift 20 years before. So Right. So the argument is stupid. It's really Very like stupid. the argument just doesn't make sense anymore. It doesn't hold water to everything that's going on mm-hmm. around us. Like why not why one modification and not another would be acceptable? Why why would implants be okay but not a tattoo for example? I think right? it's just social acceptance. I think uh, like plastic surgery has it's it's like sort of frowned upon but it's always been accepted. Like because we're a male-dominated society, most men want women to look as pretty beautiful as, as they possibly can. And that usually, unfortunately, involves a lot of plastic surgery to fit into that image that men want. Mm-hmm. Um, so socially, men, of course, are going to go, well, she got breast implants. That's okay. We'll still let her get buried. It's no big deal. She had a, <laughs> she had a, she had a pretty rack when she died. But, oh, that tattoo on her back, that's a definite no-no. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> a question here. What is a pup? Dane, you're up. Oh, gosh. What is a pup? Let me tell you. Uh, so the human pup community, it is a, it's a form of role play where a person will take on the role of a dog or a, a young puppy. Um, and it, this can be in the context of, you know, sexual play where you're playing with a, another partner and that person might be, you know, your master. And then you get to play at the pup role. So they're the dominant, you're the submissive. There's a nice exchange of energies. Or it might be multiple people uh, all taking on the role of the pup or the dog at the same time. So you get to sort of play around in this pack dynamic, you know, get on all fours, sniff each other out, you know, chew on toys. Sounds a little bit um, uh, maybe bizarre if you haven't experienced maybe it Maybe stinky. You know, dogs do smell 
butts, right? Well, you know, some people <laughs> some people are into that. <laughs> I suppose, I suppose. Um, but it, it can be very, you know, freeing to be that playful. It's something that a lot of us don't give ourselves permission to do in adulthood is just, you know, play, follow our instincts, that sort of thing. So engaging in pup play can be a really uh, fun and uh, safe way to let yourself go like that. So basically it's an, it's another form of uh, like just putting on an, uh, it's like an, like a, a play, a kind yeah. of a, a scene, if you yeah. will, like taking on a role. Mm-hmm. Like role playing, and there's a, a, I mean, there's so many examples of role play that uh, I think are much more common. You know, the student teacher uh, is a, a great example of that that mm-hmm. listeners might have experienced or might have fantasized about. Yeah. Um, or and the this nurse is just... and patient mm-hmm. exactly. or things like that. And those ones seem a little bit more acceptable for whatever reason. But pup play, you know, at its core is just it's that kind of role play, just uh, with the role of an animal, and it always. And yet, and yet, there's so many practitioners. Like we're not, we're not talking about a smidgen of people like you have a growing community uh, oh, even yeah. an online montreal community mm-hmm. yeah 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 well it's uh from the research that i've done you know people have been taking on the roles of animals uh to various degrees throughout history but it's been over the last 50 years really that it's uh, caught on in this sort of sexual western co- uh, context mm-hmm. um it started uh, predominantly in gay male leather communities right. uh, through the 60s 70s there were these people who were into more extreme more radical sexual play um, and so you would have a master slave relationship and w- from that we might punish the slave by making them behave like a dog it's a form of humiliation mm-hmm. a form of punishment some people get off on that um, and then that grows uh, into its own role its own community in and of itself uh, add in the internet <laughs> yeah and uh, we've got a recipe for uh, a community that's really really taken off in the last uh, the last 10 15 years uh, there's even a shop uh, here in the village that specializes in pup gear, uh, wow. Mr. Bear. Wow. Yeah. So even that, having having a, its own store, to, mm-hmm. and and, I, and it has to sell enough to pay the rent. So obviously oh, yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. And it exists uh, with many different animals as well. Okay. Like you can have cat play, fox play, and, you know, there's right. like, there's this whole thing expands, you know. To all different animals. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right, right, right. Yeah. All right. It's so interesting. Uh, now, I'm not... I'm not clear about this question, but maybe you guys would know. Would be curious to know from the panel if the serial killer landscaper from Toronto has changed the kink community. Does anybody know about uh, that? Yes. Mm. Well, the, yeah, there's the, the there's a gentleman that had been over quite a few years. I don't know the full story. Um, had quite a few years been uh, people, men had been missing from the village, uh, mostly uh, uh, men of color uh, or older uh, gentlemen. Uh, and no one kind of tied it together until very recently when uh, someone was uh, caught and uh, and is now being charged for multiple murders and then I guess also confessing to even more murders that could possibly mm-hmm. be tied to him. I don't think it would affect the kink community more so as affecting the general LGBT community. Right. The, as most, mostly the older uh, uh, POC uh, gay communities. A lot What's of times... POC? Uh, person of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of the times, uh, the, a lot of these men were uh, older and were not out to their families because ah. of their, their heritage or their, okay. their religious background and okay. things like that. So they were um, easy to lose 
in a bad way, yeah. um, especially in the gay community. Um, okay, so and so he you... was they, he was preying on easy targets, and right. so it, it really doesn't affect the kink community because he was it wasn't a kink situation; it right. was a man. It wasn't somebody who was visual, vis, visibly kink no. in any way. That, no, that or they even were, or even targeted. using kink in any way. It was strictly a, a, a possible gay man abducting and murdering other gay men that were tra- were basically easy prey. All right. Uh, coming up with our King panel, Dane Stewart, uh, Gary Major, and Philip Faith. We'll find out a little bit about, about what is uh, fetish photography. I think uh, fascinating. In the meantime, you can go check out uh, uh, Philip Faith's uh, Instagram page, and you'll see some of the beautiful photographs that he posts there, and then we can talk about that a little bit. That's coming up next with our King panel. We strip away the stigmas every night with passion on CJAD 800. Tonight it is our kink panel. We've got Dane Stewart, an advocate for the human pup community, Gary Major, a kinkster and fan of body modification and does so much more, and Philip Faith, who is a fetish photographer, and all of you, and I love getting your texts as well. Uh, so here, uh, Dr. Laurie, I thought the acronym for the F word stood for the crime accused for unlawful carnal knowledge. Is that not so? We were talking about this off air, and it actually means the same thing, fornication, under consent the consent of, of the king. king, so it might have been a mod, like that's the that would have been the law that you were charged with, but the punishment, the punishment. Yeah. So it it same thing. It means the same thing, really, right? It's one is a punishment, and one is the, uh, law. It's the is actual the, yeah. thing. Yeah. So uh, it may. It's interesting to see where the the difference comes from. But anyhow, Uh, another texture writes uh, with regards to tattoos. It is not allowed for a Jew to have a tattoo. You won't see an Orthodox Jew with a tattoo, except if someone had it before becoming Orthodox. Maybe, but I have seen Orthodox people with with tattoos, and true, they might have had them before, but they're not excommunicated for having them either. And I guess it depends on which which branch of Judaism you're practicing, right? If it's more, if it's one of the more orthodox sects, then I think for sure they're going to be more strict about that. Um, but I don't think that they would uh, not allow you to practice it simply because you had a tattoo. I really don't think so. Not in At this least, day and age, I don't imagine. I, I really don't. I've, I've, I've seen, I know Orthodox Jews and some of them have tattoos who have, who became more Orthodox and they're still practicing. They still go to same synagogue and all of that so i'm not sure um it's an interesting topic though but it's forbidden uh, in islam as well okay so islam too is forbidden absolutely god we get to know get learning so much tonight uh philip i want you to talk to us a little bit about uh fetish photography how did you even get into this well i was actually i started doing like uh, more like mainstream lingerie uh, like boudoir photography before before it was called boudoir actually i was more into like Nice, like Helmut Newton, and you know, real fashion with an edge. Okay. And I started uh, working uh, with different kinds of, of uh, lighting, and and more with like a cinematic as, uh, approach to mm-hmm. photography. And it just came with like the fact that I'm really, you know, a fetish enthusiast, and, uh, enthusiast, and I love that. I've been loving that stuff for a long time. I started, you know, taking pictures of latex, and latex is really in, very interesting because. It's like a second skin, mm-hmm. and you have to find the right way of lighting it so that it comes out the way it's supposed to look right. on camera. Right. And it's something that I felt very comfortable with, and I started doing it. And 
a lot in Toronto at first and then Montreal. And then I, you know, started getting a name out there, got published in different international fetish magazines like uh, Skin 2, like Von Gutenberg, mm -hmm. uh, Dark Beauty, and wow. places like that. And I started, you know, having, you know, very, very nice projects with different models from all over know, the world. All over the world. Right. From, like um, in September, I had uh, four um, beautiful models from Japan who booked me from Tokyo and came. Wow. And uh, for like four days, we did the most amazing concept and they had the most amazing costumes. It's a lot. It's very extremely artistic, your very stuff. Arti like it's oh. just absolutely beautiful. But the costumes um, too, like the, 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 way, yes. the way they're made, it's like there's a lot of, of art. and you know, Just like in the costumes. Yeah, so for me, it's already, you know, half of the work is done in a way because right. when you have all these amazing outfits, you know. But, but you have to capture them because, and I think absolutely. you're right, like latex is shiny, right? So you, Same with leather. Yeah. And leather is shiny. So yeah. how do you get it so that you're not, your lights aren't shining? That's it. You have stuff. to work with, like I work with different, you know, kind of lighting. It's very non-conventional and, right. uh, you know, and the way I use my camera and stuff like that. So, you know, and, and I like... Um, I like photography to be more like painting, you know, mm -hmm. I don't want it to be in your face. I want to have like more of a second meaning, like an understated meaning, not right. like I want, you know, you're going to look at a picture and you're going to think about it 10, 15 minutes after. So, you know, I'm working a lot on that, you know. Right. Well, I, I think even bringing that to the mainstream and, and showing the beauty of it. Yeah kind of gets people intrigued into the the kink and the fetish wear and yeah. but it's a lot of it has gone mainstream so but a it's lot tricky of for instance i get a lot of clients that i'm you know are more reluctant to hire me because they see my work oh which is which, absolutely artistic and it's like there's nothing vulgar about it right but because they see latex and fetish oh they're reluctant right. but they're going to pay hundreds of dollars and go see lady gaga dressed in fetish so you know <laughs> That's quite true. Yeah. So that's where we can bring in the whole mainstreaming of kink, which has happened. I mean, I, we've seen it evolve over time. Some of us are older here that we have seen that evolution of, of, of kink. Like, there, there was a time to buy a whip. You had There was no internet. You had right. to go and find, you know, or, the where, others, or, you right. know, or all the magazines. You had to order and get it by mail. You know, it was like there was no internet. <laughs> that's right. So there was a lot of, of, of passion into it, you know. Yeah, and so. we are, and this is where we see the growth of uh, when I think about our our other panelists that uh, are not here tonight, but are, you regularly join us from BDSM Circle. Like they have, you know, th like a thousand pages on their website of like chock full of information and people asking questions and wanting to know. And and there are millions of practitioners who are now out there. Mm -hmm. So you can find something for every single taste. Oh, yeah. It's like before, I, I was saying this to, to our, our, my listeners a, a while back, is that I started in the field about 30 years ago, pre-internet. So people would come in with fetishes uh, or interests that they thought, what's wrong with me? Like, mm -hmm. this is weird. I don't know anybody else who does this. Like, why do I like feet so much? Or, you know, where's this? Con and so they would be really distressed by it. Now, I don't see any uh, fetishes, hardly any, simply because people are going online. All they have to type in is the, that fetish and they're finding communities of thousands of people and thousands of different communities. Mm -hmm. They no longer feel that they're abnormal somehow. They no longer feel like they don't belong anywhere. They actually find their people. Yeah. Well, and it's people you can talk to anonymously too. Mm -hmm. Like when I was getting involved with a scene first, like you go online, you can get involved with a forum or you can get one of the apps and you can chat with someone without ever feeling like 
you're obligated to meet them in person or reveal who you are. Right. So exactly. for me, it was really easy to get involved with the, the community because I, I felt safe the whole time. That's that's quite true. Whereas pre-internet, of course, as Philip was saying, like you had to order magazines, but they had to be sent to your house. Mm-hmm. Some people exactly. kind of knew who you were. You know, it wasn't like you had to start with a P.O. box. And yeah, there was such it a, was a more way. complicated. So much more complicated. There used to be one place in Montreal back then, like uh, only one store where you could find stuff. And then, you know, it became more right. accessible. See, that's an interesting evolution, yeah. too, where you think about that one store and then now... It's grown and grown and grown. The other thing, too, is dungeons. I get asked that a lot about dungeons in Montreal. Like, where do I find a dungeon? How did, like, what's that about? Well, I think for the most part, with, with dungeons in a lot of play spaces, because of this, the environment, the city, the, the kind of everything that we're living in, they're not going to be publicly accessible. They're not going to be spaces that you're going to be able to just, like, flip through the yellow pages and go, oh, dungeons right there. Okay. Oh, I just got to go around the corner. So it's more of a uh, getting involved in a community and then finding the spaces that that community is involved in. Okay. Um, and I think that's where it has to start is you have to kind of find the community that you're wanting to be involved in. So if you're like, I want to be a puppy, where do I go from there? You go to the internet, you find the puppy community, and from there you can find the spaces that then those puppies play in. It's the same thing with any kink or any really with any, any kink. Scene. I know that yeah. uh, I talked to a few people who are into adult babies, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. Again, you know, many people listening might think, whoa, that's really weird. But there's thousands and thousands of people. Thousands. And there's communities, even in Montreal, mm-hmm. there's adult daycares mm-hmm. like just for these playrooms n- nursery rooms or whatever you want to call them where uh, adult babies go and meet each other and and play like little kids yep. so again you wouldn't know this pre-injured like where would this you know who would think yeah. that that exists but it does right here in our city so when you're interested in something doing a search and even uh, even through Facebook groups because yep. this uh this happens right where like maybe we can let our listeners know like if they are interested in a particular thing where's the first place they look like meetup groups like what are the the sites that would Fet Life is pretty Fet Life okay yeah. yeah that's good too that's mm-hmm. right yeah Fet Life would be my yeah, you can keep you can be anonymous and uh, there's a lot of people out there and, and you know and it's well built it's 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 a good it's a good platform okay Absolutely. so fetlife.com would be it all right where can people find you Dane uh, you can find the pup group I manage Woof MTL Woof MTL on Facebook and you can check out all of my artistic work at talkingdogproductions.ca Gary uh, Instagram it's Scott Gary Major Scott with two T's wonderful and Philip at Philip Faith on Instagram wonderful check out the pictures there and you can find me at Dr. Lori Batito thank you so much thanks to our panelists thanks to all of you for tuning in tonight Uh, thanks to Dave Simon our technical producer Uh, you can uh, connect with me through my website drlori.com so if you have any questions uh, throughout the uh, the week send them in I'm happy to answer them at the beginning of every show coming up next on CJD the CTV National News have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion (laughs) 